Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy Sunday to you all. Eric Vasquez, local missions pastor, and I have the privilege of being here with you again to share out of the word of the Lord. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been doing um, a study, a case study on the book of Nehemiah. We've been leading a conversation, a discussion around immersing ourselves in the city, here locally or wherever you at, wherever you're at, wherever you call home. And we've also been talking about immersing ourselves into the lives of others. Here at Purpose Church, we believe that God is doing something new. He's moving our hearts more locally here in the city of Pomona. And we're feeling more and more burdened to care for our city. And we're committed to drilling down deep with people loving and serving them. And we've been in a three-week series. This is the culmination of that series. Um, and, and in the first week, we started talking about committing to immersing ourselves into the brokenness of the city, committing to exposing ourselves to others and seeing what God is already up to, right? But also becoming acutely aware of some of the challenges of our community. In week two, we focused on praying over those folks in our city and praying over the community as a whole. And today, we're going to be focusing on service, a, a loving service, a Christian service unto others. For those of you who have not been here uh, with us in the early part of the series, I want to take a moment just to give you a little bit of the, of the context behind the book of Nehemiah. The story um, of Nehemiah it actually begins with him in the Persian government, and he's a, an Israelite official. He's in a spot in the Persian palace where he's got a lot of influence. Man, God has given him, given him favor. And, and he's there in, at the right time with the right mindset. And you can already see God kind of setting it up there, right? And while he's there, in the first chapters, you see that he hears of this news that Jerusalem is in shambles and the walls are broken down and the people um, are in a very, very vulnerable space. And he's greatly moved by this news. He, he catches a burden for God's people, the Israelites, and he catches a burden for the city. So he hears this news. He spends time praying unto the Father. His burden and his love for his people um, moves him to rally support, and then he goes on mission with God, and he's trusting God every step of the way. When he touches down in with the Israelites in Jerusalem, um, he inspects the gates. He he checks out the walls, and then eventually, as you read further and further down the line in the story, he eventually puts his hands to work with other folks, and he successfully rebuilds the city walls. And he does that in 52 days, bro. Like, what a miraculous feat, right? With God uh, with us, working for us, anything is possible. So once again, today, we want to take a closer look at the type of loving service that was alive in Nehemiah. And I want to encourage you today, just like Nehemiah, his loving service was committed to long suffering with others. And we want to encourage you to do the same as you love on the city, as you serve the people of the city. We want you to long suffer with others. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11, the word of the Lord says this, so I went to Jerusalem. That's kind of how it starts, right? So I went to Jerusalem. And he stayed there for a certain amount of time, but that was the beginning, right, of, of a long-term commitment that Nehemiah had made. It was the start of something special, a, a period of time that God would use him 
to uh, advance the mission of the kingdom of God, to restore and redeem his people. And the trip from Susa to Jerusalem, it was a three-month-long trip. It, it was a distance of 900 miles. This wasn't just going around the corner, right? Like this dude, Nehemiah, was serious about his commitment to the people. And once he finally got there, after that long journey, he stayed and served faithfully for 12 years. I, what a commitment, right? Like going on mission for 12 years, that's a lot. I, he had to sacrifice so much to do that. And we read in the text that after those 12 years, he was a man of integrity. He actually returned to the king to be in service of him, to only later in chapter 13 come back to finish what he started to finish well. And we want to encourage you to do the same as you're serving with people, have a long-term commitment and commit to finishing well. When you study the book of Nehemiah, um, you begin to learn of, of the roller coaster ride that was associated to loving and serving the Israelites, God's people. Uh, these cats, right, the Israelites, they had a jacket. They were known uh, for being an idolatrous people. They were known to have forgotten their identity on several occasions. They were known to be a disobedient people at times, a, a faithless people at times. And yet Nehemiah was completely committed to walking with them. And when we look at the story and we kind of look at our lives, if we're being honest, as we're contemplating long suffering with others in service, some of us probably question whether or not we got it in us, <laughs> whether or not we're able to really do this to walk with people, to see them through seasons of success and seasons of suffering, to deal with their brokenness, allowing our own lives to be interrupted. Uh, we have a lot of fears probably and anxieties associated with this idea of long suffering with folks. But if we could simplify this, this idea for you today, we really wanna do that. What if, what if we committed to long suffering with a kingdom mindset. And let me kind of elaborate on that a little bit. With the kingdom mindset, when we look at long suffering with people, we understand that the best type of faithful service is one that runs deep with people, not wide. The best type of service is one that is about the small things, not the flashy things or the big things. The best type of service is about consistency it's not about like a temporary energy that goes to a short-term project or program. And it's more about relationship and it's less about transaction. And, and having this kingdom mindset when looking at um, long suffering with folks, you know, I'm reminded of, of the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And it reminds me that if it's just for one, it's worth it. So when you start thinking about Nehemiah's approach to the people, to the city, that was a big movement. But in your own life, in your own heart, to simplify this, I challenge you to long suffer with just one. And that person, that cause is worth it. Get you a lost sheep and a lost coin perspective. I wanna tell you a little story that will further articulate this idea. 15 years ago, I walked onto the campus of Pomona High School. I had always felt God drawing me to the people group, which was at Promise Youth. When I went onto the campus, I ran into this young man. I, I call him lovingly the mutt. He was mixed, man. This cat had, 
you know, uh, Asian, he had black, he had a little bit of Mexican, he had some Cherokee up in him, man. I didn't know what he was, man. He looked weird at first, you know, and when you're in that freshman stage, you know, you're still developing in your body and stuff. So, but I, right away, this dude stood out to me. He was intelligent. He was charismatic. We shared a lot of passions. He had a love for sports, a love for hip hop, music, same as me. So I started walking with this dude. His name's Kendall. And uh, what I started to notice is quickly he was being raised in a family full of dysfunction and a lot of violence. A, there was a lot of volatile moments in his home. And I also understood that he was living life without a father. His pops, for whatever reason, had disconnected early on and was struggling. Um, and, and I chose to walk with him through some of that, right? I was his, his barber, his personal barber, so there were many, many times during the years that we would have long discussions about life and faith and sports and music while I'm cutting him up, fading him up. Um, and I saw him even through his, high, or his college years after he graduated. And in those years, it was years of confusion. He picked up some bad habits and addictions. And later, he would return to Pomona after college. He was not successful there. I, I woke up one night to a, a crazy loud knock, and it was his mother in hysterical state saying, Eric, uh, Kendall's in a coma. You got to come to the hospital. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? I go, sure enough, man, he's in a life-threatening situation. Um, and I, I was able to pray over his, his lifeless body, and thank God by his grace, he, he redeemed him and restored him physically. And then later, um, his mother, that same mom that was knocking on my door, she fell ill after he had recovered, and she eventually passed. And I had the honor and privilege of burying her. And I'm happy to say that although, you know, I was in different seasons with Kendall, seasons of suffering, seasons of success, I'm so happy to say, as you see in the pictures behind me, this cat is working for my organization, Justice for Youth. He is pouring out the same love and service and mentorship to many at Promise Youth that he received from our relationship, and he's a rising star. I mean, this guy can do anything with his life. Mm. This type of long-suffering commitment, this type of commitment to serve has to be something that God puts in our hearts. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12, he's talking about a time where he set out during the night with a few others, and he says, I had not yet told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do. In order to long suffer with people, it has to be something that God puts in your heart to do because it's not humanly possible separate from God's strength. And in order to long suffer with people and for you to catch that in your heart and for God to deposit that, it has to happen in the space of prayer. I thank God for the, for the gospel message, man. The gospel tells me that God loves me so much that he too long suffers with me. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 18, the scripture says, the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations. The Lord is slow to to anger. He long suffers with me, abounding in love and forgiving my sin. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the scripture says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I thank God 
for his long suffering with me because I'm a knucklehead and I needed that. I needed his patience. I needed his forgiveness. When I think of the cross, when I think of Christ, I thank God that he was committed to my cause. And I thank God that he suffered long on the cross for me. He shed his blood for my sins. He was stabbed in his side. He was pierced in his head. He was spat on, bruised, beaten, all for my sake. And he long suffered and endured all of that pain and torture for my benefit. And that's what Nehemiah did for the people of God. And that's what we want to encourage you to do for God's people here in the city of Pomona. Secondly, Nehemiah in his loving service, he invites people, others to rebuild with him. In Nehemiah, um, there's this scripture here. I, I really love what he says. He says, come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. When he touched down, he knew right? That the, the community was in trouble. He says this, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates are burned with fire. And then he says, come, let us rebuild together. I love that, that invitation to come. It reminds me of an Isaiah 55 invitation when he says, come all of you who are thirsty. And he keeps saying through that, that chapter of Isaiah, he keeps saying, come, Come, come. It's an inclusive call to anyone who's ready to rebuild, right? Jesus is the answer to our problems. He is the one who will help us to rebuild our broken walls, the walls of our lives, the walls of our community. And in Nehemiah, he's, he's giving that great invitation to other people. And more specifically, I want to highlight that when he was saying these words, he was speaking directly to the people of the city. He was speaking to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and everybody else who was there. Nehemiah understood that this invitation to come and rebuild had to be directly associated with indigenous leaders of the community. He invited, he invested, he was calling folks towards purpose. He recognized that God was already at work in the lives of people and in the city, and he just wanted to partner with God in that process. And Nehemiah also knew that it wasn't just going to be the people of God who were rebuilding their lives and the city, but it was also going to be him who had to humble himself and knew he had to rebuild areas of his life as well. It was a mutual exchange, a fellowship that was happening. But he understood that God is mighty to save and that God could rebuild any broken wall, any broken life. How does this play out in our lives. This plays out by us committing to elevate others who we serve, to equip and train them, to platform them, to help them reach stability, safety, peace, and prosperity, to be committed to them, making it about them, not about us. Taking a servant leader's posture. Nehemiah was a realist at the same time. When he came to the city, um, you know, he, he looked and he saw, he was not naive. He was able to kind of take it in and see how, how much in shambles the community was, how much rubble existed when he looked at the walls. Let's look what he says in, in chapter 17 again. He says, you see the trouble that we're in. And in the next verse, later on in chapter four, verse 10, he says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is given out. And there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild. 
So he was real and honest about the condition, but he moved in faith, knowing that our God is mighty to save. As humans, when looking at things through an earthly perspective, we can have a tendency to be discouraged by how much rubble there is in the lives of others. But when we look at things with an eternal heavenly mindset, we're not discouraged by the rubble. I want you to say this with me online, fam. I want you to say this loud to anybody that's in the room next to you. And if you're by yourself, say it to yourself. I want you to say, don't let the rubble discourage you. Don't let the rubble of other people's lives discourage you. Keep inviting other people to rebuild. Keep being committed to long suffer with folks because our God is a mighty God. He's much bigger than any circumstance and he's able to accomplish the miraculous in the lives of his children. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Nehemiah's loving service, it also closed gaps. In Nehemiah chapter four, verse seven, you're gonna see um, here he says, you know, they're taking account of what's going on. And Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. So they were very, very angry. Nehemiah's work with the people was literally closing gaps in the walls and in the lives of others. And I think as believers, right, we have to be expert gap identifiers and expert gap feelers as we serve other people in our community. We have to live and move with that mentality of a servant leader who is willing to do whatever it takes to rebuild our walls in our city and the lives that we have the privilege of walking with. I'm so thankful that Christ was a gap filler in my life. I'm so thankful that Christ filled my sin gap. I'm so thankful that he chose in Romans 5.8 to go to the cross for me, to show his love for me that while I was still a sinner, he decided to die for me. And he filled the gaps in my life. Wherever I fell short, he made up for it. Whenever I miserably failed, he patched it up. Whenever I continually, you know, struggled in my righteousness, he clothed me in the righteousness of himself. And now because of what Christ has done for me, because of him closing my sin gap, I now have access to my heavenly father and I have intimacy with my creator and, and I can really be at peace at this stage of my life. I have a quick thing to kind of run down. I started thinking about what are other gaps that exist? What about gaps in the church? I think like globally, the church, we have a discipleship gap. We, we can't be afraid to take the one and to disciple them and to walk with them life on life. I thought like, man, we have a service gap. The other week I was coming out and I realized, man, we're kind of short on man, manpower a little bit in the back. Like I would love to see a little bit more volunteers here and, and people rocking some of our yellow shirts. It's hard for me to rock a yellow shirt, but if I got to, a servant's mentality, I'll fill the gap, baby, you know? And I want to encourage you, we, we have a service gap. We have so many opportunities for people to serve here at Purpose. We have a giving gap at times. There's so many kingdom initiatives that we can give towards. We have a gap in our efforts to reach the Spanish-speaking community here in Pomona. And we have a mercy and justice gap at times 
as the global church? What about gaps in the life of a believer? I think we have immersion gaps. I think we have prayer gaps. And I think we have word gaps and fellowship gaps. Sometimes as I sit with folks as a pastor, um, I start kind of looking at their lives and, and wondering, man, the, the, what's going on here? I think you need a little bit more intake of the word of God, right? To guide you, to minister to you. I think you need a little bit more time in prayer so you can listen to God and talk to God and cast your cares on, on God. I think you probably need a little bit more fellowship with believers, folks that are like-minded so that you'll feel encouraged and sharpened. Those are some of the gaps of the life uh, in the life of a believer. Lastly, um, I think it's important that we see that Nehemiah was the type of leader whose loving service fought for justice. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7, this is what the scripture says. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. They were an oppressed people, the Israelites. Nehemiah saw that they were vulnerable and in need for justice. And biblical justice is not a set of, of bullet points or a set of rules and guidelines. It's, it's rooted in the very nature and character of who God is. And it is the outworking of that character which is never less than just. And I want to read this quote to you from Tim Keller. He says this, God's justice restores those who are victims of injustice. God stands against perverting the justice due the poor, slaying the innocent and the righteous, accepting bribes, oppressing the alien, the widow, and the orphan. God raises them to a position of honor and well-being. There are three facets of justice that I want to just quickly run down. The first is radical generosity. And I want to encourage us, what does it look like to be justice fighters in the kingdom? It means to live radically. While secular individualism uh, says that your money belongs to you, while socialism says that your money, your money belongs to the state, the Bible says that your money belongs to God, who then entrusts you with it. And Jesus calls each of us to be wise, wise stewards of our wealth. And out of love for God and love for our neighbor, the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The second facet of justice is equality, that we would see all people as image bearers. In Genesis 1:27, we see this in the creation account. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, that we would understand that every person should be treated according to the same standards, with the same respect, regardless of class, race, ethnicity, nationality, gender, or any other social category. The last facet of justice that I want to quickly mention is advocacy. And this third facet of biblical justice is significant, life-changing advocacy for the poor. In Psalms 41.1, the scripture says this, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. This word consideration is translated and it means that believers are to be paying close attention to the weak and to the poor, seeking to understand the causes of their conditions, spending significant time and energy to work towards changing those situations. I want to close with a quick clip 
of one of my mentors from afar. His name is Paul Farmer. And then right after that, we're going to have the privilege of hearing Pastor Glenn hit the second part of a sermon. God bless you. I've worked as a doctor in many places and have seen where to be poor means to be bereft of rights. I saw early on, still just a medical student, the panicky dead end faced by so many of the destitute sick, a young woman dying in childbirth, a child writhing in the spasms of a terrible disease for which a vaccine has existed for more than a century, a friend whose guts were irreparably shredded by bacteria from impure water, an eight-year-old caught in crossfire. Limugibet, what a stupid death, goes one Haitian response. Fighting such stupid deaths is never the work of one or even of a small group. I've had the privilege of joining many others providing medical care to people who would otherwise not be able to get it. The number of those eager to serve is impressive, and so is the amount that can be accomplished. I believe that stupid deaths can be averted. We've done it again and again. But this hard and painful work has never yet been an urgent global priority. The fight for health as a human right, a fight with real promise, has so far been plagued by failures. Failure because we're chronically short of resources. Failure because we're too often at the mercy of those with the power and money to decide the fates of hundreds of millions. Failure because ill health, as we've learned again and again, is more often than not a symptom of poverty and violence and inequality and we do little to fight those when we provide just vaccines or only treatment for one disease or another. Every premature death, and there are millions of these each year, should be considered a rebuke. I know it's not enough to attend only to the immediate needs of the patient in front of me. We must also call attention to the failures and inadequacy of our own best efforts. The goal of preventing human suffering must be linked to the task of bringing others, many others, into a movement for basic rights. The most vulnerable, those whose rights are trampled, those rarely invited to summarize their convictions for a radio audience, still believe in human rights, in spite of, or perhaps because of, their own troubles. Seeing this in Haiti and elsewhere has moved me deeply and taught me a great deal. I move uneasily between the obligation to intervene and the troubling knowledge that much of the work we do, praised as humanitarian or charitable, does not always lead us closer to our goal. That goal is nothing less than the refashioning of our world into one in which no one starves, drinks in pure water, lives in fear of the powerful and violent, or dies ill and unattended. Of course such a world is a utopia, and most of us know that we live in a dystopia. But all of us carry somewhere within us the belief that moving away from dystopia moves us towards something better and more humane. I still believe this. Thanks so much, Pastor Eric. Uh, now with the remainder of our time, uh, let's talk about while serving others. Uh, first of all, serve impacts. Uh, Nehemiah 4, verse 13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. Uh, Nehemiah knew that people would stay more encouraged if they were with people they were familiar with that could encourage them and remind them of the reason uh, why they were building the wall and why they were defending themselves. We serve uh, best when we're in packs 
with other people that we care about. I love this African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. When you look at the 150-year history of our church, uh, we're a group of marathoners, not of sprinters. I love what Pastor Eric said about we want to uh, go deep. We want to go far. Uh, we don't want to be flashy and short-term, but we want to be marathoners. And we go far because we go together, uh, because we go unified. You've heard me say many times that I've seen God bless every kind of church. I've seen him uh, bless rural churches, suburban churches, and urban churches. I've seen God uh, bless charismatic churches and very traditional or liturgical churches. I've seen God bless big churches and small churches, but the church I've never seen God bless uh, is a disunified church. The more unified we are, the more we stay together, the more powerful and the more change uh, we can make happen. Uh, I love the illustration of geese in formation and, and the goose at the head uh, takes turns. They rotate who's in the, the lead position because that's the hardest one. That's where you're uh, breaking up the air in order for the others to follow behind you. And do you know that geese can fly 70% farther in this formation than any of them can individually? And so they take turns at the point. They fly in formation. When you hear geese honking, they're encouraging the goose in the lead to uh, continue to press on. And do you know scientifically why one side of the uh, V is longer than the other side? Well, it's because there's more geese in that side than the other side. Nobody ever laughs at that joke, but I've been using it for about uh, 40 years now. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to launch groups all across our church. And that is so important to be in, in, that, in that geese formation. We can go farther if we're in groups, if we're in packs together. In addition to that, some of the best relationships that I've ever had are those where I'm serving uh, side by side uh, with other people. Uh, th that's when you develop those rich relationships. It's like being in battle together or being in a team together to serve side by side. Uh, one of the most important things you can do for other people is to help them stay encouraged. And one of the most important things you can do for yourself is to be around other people uh, that keep you encouraged. And that leads us to the next point, which is to inspire hope. Uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And that is why we need to be in groups, why we need to serve in packs, uh, why we need to come to church and, and be in small groups and serve side by side, and, and why we need to be in fellowship and in church with each other. The first part of this verse is what we experience Monday through Saturday. Monday through Saturday, uh, we see the trouble that the world's in. Uh, we see the ruins around us. Uh, we see that the gates have been burned. And so we spend Monday through Saturday just like dealing with the world as it is. But then Sunday is the second half of the verse. Where Sunday we, we come together and we re-encourage each other. We encourage each other. We rekindle our vision. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in, in disgrace. 
Uh, when you come into church so many times, I, I love it, when you start worship, your problems seem so big and God seems so small by comparison. But as we worship together, as we study God's word together, as we encourage each other, when we leave, God seems bigger and by comparison, our, our problems seem smaller. And we're relaunched to come and let's rebuild the wall of our city and of our communities and where we work and of our families. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's hold it there for just a second. Let's hold that verse. It says that we, we, we get together, as we're going to see in the next verse, uh, it's really one of the only times I've seen like a reason giving, uh, given as to why we come together in church. Why do we do this? Why do we get together? Why do we worship together? Well, obviously to study God's word and, and to worship with each other. But here's another reason given in scripture. We get together in order to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We, we huddle together so eventually we can break the huddle and go play the game. Uh, imagine a kickoff at the beginning of the NFL season. This coming Thursday night, NFL season kicks off. And imagine that the, the team receives the ball. They go into the huddle and they just huddle and they huddle and they huddle. And delay of game, uh, go back five yards. And they huddle and they huddle and they huddle and Delay of game, and they go back another five yards. This happens a couple of times. Finally, the coach calls timeout, and he comes out and says, guys, what's going on? And they said, oh, we're having just such a great time fellowshipping here, and we're studying the playbook, and, and we're singing songs with each other, and we're just, uh, you know, it's so great to be in this huddle. But the coach would get on his players because the whole point of a huddle is to eventually break the huddle and go play the game. So we get together in order to encourage each other, to rekindle our vision, to spur one another on toward love and, and good deeds, serving in love. Now we go to the next verse. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love this quote by Peter Drucker, one of the greatest uh, leadership gurus that's ever lived, and he uh, was right here in Claremont, right next to us here. Peter Drucker said, only three things happen naturally in organizations. Friction, confusion, and underperformance. <laughs> in our workplaces, in our churches, uh, even in our families, only three things happen naturally. Friction, confusion, and underperformance. Everything else takes leadership. Everything else takes leadership. And we all have a role. We all uh, mutually lead with each other. You know how I always talk about with regard to friction. Every one of us go around with a bucket of water in one hand and a bucket of gasoline in the other. And we come across fires. We come across friction. And we can either pour water on that fire or we can pour gasoline on that fire. Um, confusion. What are we doing to keep things clear and keep our vision clear with each other? Underperformance. Uh, we all underperform. I underperform and I need you as my church family to spur me on to love and good deeds because left to my own devices, I will underperform. I need your challenge and you need my challenge. We need each other. Which leads us to the next point, which is to empower and affirm others' contributions. 
I love this quote by Tom Mullins. He says, people thrive when they are recognized and affirmed for their contributions to your organization's success. As a matter of fact, your team members' longevity and continued engagement in the execution of your vision is directly influenced by your ability, ability to celebrate them in meaningful ways. We see this in chapter three of Nehemiah, how Nehemiah lists the people and their contribution to different parts of the wall. He says in verse one, Eliashab, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the, the, sheep, the sheep gate. Uh, here was the pastors were working on one part of the gate. That project probably took longer with the pastors. Yeah, I don't know. Many pastors have more mechanical skills than I do, but my construction, construction guilt, uh, gifts and abilities and talents are such that uh, maybe it took them longer to get their part of the wall uh, done. Uh, verse three, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. Any of you parents out there looking for new names for your children, unusual names, I'm giving you a bunch of them here. Verse six, the Jeshana gate was repaired by Joada, Joida. Uh, verse seven, next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Uh, here, Nehemiah records them in his book. He, he says, here are people that need to be recognized because they built their section of the wall. Verse uh, eight, Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. And then I love uh, verse 12, of one of the first mentions of a, of a father, a daughter, a daddy, girl, a girl daddy uh, who has girls, a father who has uh, girls. It says in verse 12, Shalom, son of Halahish, a ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. That's very rare. We're talking here 2,500 years ago in 500 BC. Uh, for the help of his daughters, and they're all mentioned here. Verse 14, the dung gate. Boy, who got the assignment? That got the short straw that had to repair the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malchijah. And then, verse 15, the fountain gate was repaired by Shalon. Each one had their section of the wall to repair, and when each person did their part, the wall was rebuilt. And now, Pastor Eric and I uh, don't want you to get the idea from this series that everyone has to be directly involved in local missions. Well, maybe Pastor Eric does, all right? <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I, you know, there are many different ministries we're called to. Some of you may do children's ministries. Some may do student ministries. Some uh, do the greeting ministries, the yellow shirts that Pastor Eric just mentioned. Some of you are involved in global missions. But we are hoping through this series that many, many more within, I'm not saying everybody, different people have different parts of the wall, but we are hoping that this series will motivate many more to engage directly with the city. Um, but all of us involved in a church, each of us as we do our part to serve in a church in the city, the wall gets rebuilt. And one of the most important assignments that God has given to us is to build Christ-honoring families. We need to advocate for families. Uh, verse 14, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight 
for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your, your homes. Uh, we fight for our own children and grandchildren, but we also fight for their generations, uh, for millennials and Gen Z and Generation Alpha. Uh, my children are all millennials, and two of our eight grandchildren, two of them are Gen Z, and six of them are Generation Alpha. So, so here at our church, we wanna fight not just for our own families, but for the generations that our children and grandchildren are part of. Uh, that's been in our church's DNA for 152 years. The gospel remains the same. God's word remains the same. But we will make any adjustments in our strategy over the last 152 years, any adjustments in our strategy, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how hard that might be, in order to reach each new generation. And then we serve strategically. It says in verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. We, we want to send help where people are the most vulnerable. The lowest parts of the wall, it, we're, we're, it's, the wall is exposed. That's why Pastor Eric and his team have picked out certain locations in the city of Pomona. And that's where our microsites have, have, have gone. Because they've said these are the places that are the most exposed, the most vulnerable. That's where we need to go. It, it strategically, we're stepping into those places in order to make a difference. And so at the end, if you go all the way to verse 20, if you go all the way to verse 20, he says in, in verse 20, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And God did. And Jerusalem was rebuilt. It says in Nehemiah 6, verse 16, when all of our enemies heard about this and all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And then they dedicated the wall in chapter 12, verse 43. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And with God's help, we will rebuild the walls of Pomona in the years ahead and will rejoice for all of eternity. As they did when they built the walls, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, so we will do for all of eternity. And all God's family said, amen and amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this series now and the challenge it's given us to be exposed, to be immersed with the brokenness of the city in which our church is located, the city of Pomona, to pray for our city and to now serve our city. And Lord, just show us now practically, like you did Nehemiah, show us how we can be involved in, in our particular section of the wall, in rebuilding the wall, so that the city in which we find ourselves, the city of Pomona, will be restored and rebuilt. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Pastor Eric, finish us off. All right. Well, thank you everybody online for joining us. Uh, I wanted to kind of close off by giving some instructions 
about this week and our experience. So as you heard over the last couple of weeks, week one was about immersion, going into the city, walking routes that we've selected and carved out, and just observing, seeing, listening, hearing, experiencing what God's up to. Week two, we developed a booklet that was focused all on prayer. And we had a one-hour prayer experience that was guided. Um, and a lot of you went back to those same sites that you selected from our first booklet, and you did a prayer walk, or you uh, grouped up with a couple other folks from our community, our church community and church family, to do that experience. And then this week, we've created a service booklet. And in the booklet, we, we list out the same 10 locations, and we've committed to have our staff at the same sites at the listed times, and we recommend a series of uh, service projects. So these are things that you can do to be a blessing to those who you've met along the way, a be, be a blessing to our community members or to business owners. Whatever location you chose, we've really like handcrafted some really cool opportunities uh, to serve others and to give back to the community, to be a blessing to others. The awesome thing about um, these, this series and, and these experiences is many of them can be self-guided. You can go at your own leisure, your own availability, your own time. So we want to encourage you to visit our website, purposechurch.com living. You can find all of the immersive prayer and service booklets there for, for your uh, convenience. And then, you know, at any time in, in your life and, and in your availability that you see fit, you can start. And whenever you get involved and, and you start the process, we just want you to reach out to our, our missions department. You can email us at local at purposechurch.com. Also, I want to encourage you that there are like recurring opportunities beyond this series that our church just um, performs or, or services that we provide, programs that we provide that are a constant blessing to the city. You can go on our website at purposechurch.com local and find access, uh, get all the details you need for some of those recurring, ongoing um, opportunities to serve there. So we love you. We appreciate you. We're so excited that so many of you have taken us up on the invitation and challenge to come and be a part of things that are happening in our city. God bless you all.